This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. We're going to be in the book of Colossians uh, chapter 1 as we go through our series, Who is Jesus? But before we dive into verse 15, I want to start us off with a true story. Um, So a lot of you guys know that I am not from Texas. We actually grew up in South Florida, and then we moved here. And um, going into my freshman year of high school, my friend Rosalind came up to me and said, Ricky, I want you to be my quince. Now, I had no idea what a quinceañera was, just being honest. We, we didn't grow up in that culture. We didn't grow up in that world. I knew that it was somebody's 15th birthday. I've seen it done like in a church setting where it's like, like almost like a service. But, but this was like, Rosalind, this was like a real deal. So I look at my friend Bossy, which was her boyfriend at the time, and then uh, Thomas, and I'm like, bro, what is this? Like I, what I agreed to <laughs> as, a, as a 15-, 16-year-old. And they're like, it's cool, man. It's a birthday. It's a huge celebration. And then um, we're going to match you up with somebody. And then you have to, like, prepare a dance. And I was like, you mean like a girl? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, I'm in. Who cares? Let's go. <laughs> Keen said, whatever. You know, you're a 15, 16-year-old. Your hormones are going crazy, right? So I'm super excited to be part of Rosalind's Keen said. Um, and then you have to go to practices, and you learn these dances and stuff. Now, now this is where the pressure comes. Because I know for some of us, it's hard to think back when we were 15 or 16. And think about like the hormones. Think about like how you think everyone's staring at you and the universe revolves around you, right? So in my mind, I'm like, whoa, this is a lot of pressure now. Like I'm going to get matched up with somebody. What if this is like my wife? What if we fall in love? What, what, what if like we connect on such a deep level in these practices, what if they play, they play Casey and JoJo all my life, and she asked me to dance, and as we're dancing, she looks into my eyes and is like, will you be my boyfriend? Like, how am I going to respond to that? How am I going to react to that? And this is all going through my mind. This is a big deal. So the day comes. I remember it was a Thursday evening. My parents dropped me off. Uh, it was like some fire station looking thing in Southside. It was like a hall. So we, we show up there for practice. Everyone is dressed up and dressed out because we're matching up with girls. And that's what you do as a guy. And, and I'm super nervous. And I'm standing there. And Bossy comes up to me. And, and he's like, hey, Ricky, we're gonna, you're going to be partnered with Rosalind's cousin. And I was like, oh, OK. I guess that's cool. And I had no idea. So then Rosalind's cousin walks in. Now, I'm not the tallest guy in the world, okay? My freshman year, I was like 5'3". I'm built like an ice cream scoop. Like, it's, like, I'm not the, like, you know. So she walks in, and I'm like, oh, okay. Her cousin. And I'm just thinking in my mind, like, oh, no. Like, how, what am I going to do? And I was like, we're going to look like Shrek and Lord Farquhar walking in a room together. 
And, I'm, and, and, and Bossy and Thomas are giggling a little bit, and they, they see the expression on my face, and then he nudges me, and he's like, nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> you know, like that, that laugh that they do, like the, eh. And I'm like, oh, God. Like the, 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 the relief in my, my, and then he's like, yeah, we wouldn't do that to her. I was like, okay. So, so Bossy saw the look on my face and the stuff he was making up. And he saw the concern, and he's like, eh, I'm just kidding. And I was like, oh, that, that, that's hard. So in his mind, they knew, like, I didn't know much about what was going on. I didn't know much about a set. I was a new guy in town, and they thought they would have a little fun with me. And they were like, yeah, you know, and they're like, oh, you're actually matched with Juanita, so don't worry about it. So it, it was all good. Now... What we're going to see here in the church of Colossians, the Colossian church, was that there were all these guys coming in, these false teachers, and they were building these false narratives about Jesus and about the deity of Christ. But instead of saying, we're just playing, they're just saying, yeah, we're just serious. They're, they're, they're like making this stuff up, but they're like, no, this is real. Like Jesus is not deity. Jesus is not God. He's separated from his humanity. So all this false teaching is coming into the church of Colossae. And Paul, what Paul's going to do in Colossians chapter 1 is that Paul is going to put this emphatic defense against their heresy. And he's going to say, no, like what you guys are saying that Jesus is is actually not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you guys who Jesus really is to, to help you understand the hearsay. And, and he's writing this letter to the church to help them see the truth. So let's look at verse 15. So we're going to walk two verses at a time. Um, man, I'm telling you, this passage right here, we could, we could study this thing for a year. So I'm going to try to condense it on like 30, 40 minutes. So there's going to be some things we kind of go over and, and some things we camp out in. Um, but before we, we jump into his word, let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for everything. Lord, I pray that you help us see Christ in the text, Lord. And Lord, we thank you because you are good to us. Be with those who are not able to be with us uh, today. Keep them safe, Lord. And we just praise you for... Um, not letting me end up with Rosalind's cousin. You know, I pray amen. All right. It's a joke. All right, so let's jump in. Look at verse, uh, let's look at verse 15 and 16. He says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So let's go back to verse 15, because we got to look at these things. We're, we're just going to walk through it on how Paul is teaching this. The first thing he says is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've seen this in the teachings. We've seen this, that he is the exact representation of who God is, that he holds all his characteristics and his attributes in this but what's interesting about this text is that the word image in the Greek here is econ and the word econ is where we derive the word icon for so econ he's saying that Jesus is the econ of the invisible God what does that mean for us econ actually means a copy or a, a likeness 
So Jesus is not just a perfect image. He is the exact likeness of God in every form of God. So Jesus has been like this for all eternity. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the econ. He is the likeness. He is exactly who God is. All his attributes, characteristics are put into Jesus Christ so he could show the world exactly who God is. Now, some of you parents might relate to me on this. There's moments where Rach and I will we'll be at a restaurant, and when you have kids, there's a moment where the food hits, where the energy level just goes for no reason. And, and sometimes Livy and Elena might do something like run laps around tables or just act up or start singing like at Babe's Chicken that we were at. They just started busting out in song. And there's sometimes where I'll look at Rach, and I'm like, no, that's your side. <laughs> that ain't the coddle side. That's, that's, that's the Gover side right there, right? So every time, like, Livy does something, like, that's off the wall or, or, or like, just, just I was going to say ratchet, but that's not a good word, right? Like, off the, just, just something crazy. Um, I'll look at Rachel. I was like, no, nah, that's all Rach right there. That ain't me. You know, so we'll say that to each other jokingly about, like, man, like, your kid right now is acting like you. And really what we're getting at is that when when you have a child, there's genetics and traits that come from dad, and there's genetics and traits that come from mom. And all of that combines in, all that DNA combines in your kid. So they might have, they might act like you, they might look like you, but, but there's a piece of you in them. And then in all of that, they, out of all of that, they develop their own personality. And you start seeing that personality come to fruition as they get older. Now, what Jesus is saying here, what the econ is saying here is that it's not this whole idea of like there's a little bit of God in Christ. Because what the heresy here is, is that the power of God, the attributes of God have been all divided up. So God gets like a third, the Holy Spirit gets a third, and Jesus Christ gets a third. And the truth is that, no, all of it is all in Christ together. So it's not like Jesus has a little bit of God. He might have some Mary in him, and then he has his own personality. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the word of God says. No, Jesus is the exact manifestation and the exact representation of who God is. And we get to walk amongst him. And we get to see him and experience that. So it's not that Jesus has a little bit here and there and then has his own thing. No, he is God. We see him. We see the Shekinah glory in him. And then it says he is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn, what does that mean? When we see firstborn, we think chronologically. Like he was the first one to show up. But here in this text, because remember, Paul is talking to um, Jewish and, and Hebrew um, yeah, the Jewish and the Hebrew culture, he's, he's talking about the preeminence of position. Because in these cultures, when you were first born, you got everything that the father had. So if the, something happened to the father, you're up. So you take on all the property. You have the, you have the inheritance. You have everything that the father has. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is firstborn of all creation. He's saying that um, 
that God didn't just create him, but he also has the preeminence and all of the position, like he possesses all the inheritance of the entire universe. Jesus gets everything. He is owned everything. Not just in heaven, but heaven, earth, under the earth. He existed before creation and is exalted in rank above all creation. So it's not that he was like born first, because it's if he would say that I am the firstborn, but yet only begotten son, that makes no sense. He is God's only begotten son. He's, he's God's only. And that comes with position. And that is what Paul is saying. He's looking at rank here. All right, verse 16. So he says, man, Jesus is the econ of God. He is the exact representation and manifestation of God. All creation, all of its inheritance belongs to Christ because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things, is which we're going to see in verse 16. It says, in all things, um, in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now, we talked about this last week, that Jesus is the glue that holds the universe together. And some of us, you know, we pulled the whole like Nacho Libre thing, like I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Well, yes, because Jesus is allowing science to happen. He's the one that is the glue to hold everything together. But what I want to look at in verse 16 is the second piece of this verse. He says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, what's interesting here is that Paul, when he talks about authorities and powers, you know, he's really addressing the whole idea of angel worship. The hearsay in these times were that people were putting angels on a pedestal and people were worshiping angels. And they believed that Jesus was in the same boat as angels were. And what he's saying is like, no, that's not how this works. Because look, he says, whether it's thrones or powers, rules, rulers or authorities. Now, what he doesn't say here, he doesn't rank the authorities. He doesn't say the holy ones. And the evil ones. He doesn't say Jesus is only the head of the angels in heaven. He doesn't just say Jesus over the demons and the evil spirits. No, he says every single thing. The Bible even says that angels worship him. But in James, it says that demons hear the name of Christ and shudder because they understand their position. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's like, man, no matter the thrones or powers or rulers or authority, everyone will submit to Jesus Christ because he's over all of them. He's the creator of all things and not just created them, but everything runs through him. It's all for Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And I love this because even if we think about our context, listen, there is no worldly leader that is powerful enough to have a name like the name of Jesus, right? There's no president, there's no pope, there's no king, there's no queen. Like, there's nothing in this world that says, like, this one person has an authority that is like Jesus or above Jesus. No, Jesus is over all of them. They bow the knee to him, and he only, they're in power because he's allowing it to happen. And we need to understand the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is that supreme, he has this immeasurable superiority about him. 
But the false teacher suggests something else, and Paul is pushing back on that. Then in verse 17, we talked about sustainability, right? He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He's the one that keeps it all together. He's the one that is allowing things to function. And then also what I want to think about, too, when we see this word econ, because a lot of people try to separate Christ and, and, and what's happening, spiritual humanity. No, it's all together. He is the imprint of God. He is the firstborn over all creation. You know, we see that term firstborn because this is going to keep coming up. Um, back in the day, there used to be a show called Man Versus Food. Anybody familiar? A guy named Adam Rich, Richman, he would, he would travel the country, and he would do these crazy food challenges. Like, they're like, hey, here's a 10-pound bowl of chili. You got to eat in 30 minutes. And he's like, okay. And then, like, that's what the whole show was about. But there was a show that he did um, that, that stuck to me, and it was in Detroit, Michigan, where this company, this restaurant, created a 190-pound cheeseburger. You could look it up. <laughs> so the, the challenge was that 40 people had to eat 190 pounds of this burger within, I think it was like four hours. So they would have to, and of course, they, they only ate about 160 pounds of it. So that day, food won. I mean, I guess that's his whole thing, right? But what they would say is that they would say, this is the mother of all cheeseburgers. Now, what they meant for that, if we took it in a literal sense, that this was the cheeseburger that gave birth to other cheeseburgers. This is where McDonald's got the idea from. This is where Burger King got the idea from. And that, that's not what it means. What it's saying is that the restaurant looked all over the world. It looked everywhere to see if there was a burger that could match up with their 190-pound cheeseburger challenge. And they found none. Therefore, they call it the mother of all cheeseburgers. So what God is saying as we continue to talk about creation and sustainability, when he says he's the firstborn of all creation, that means like, man, we've searched the world. We, we've looked for anybody else that was able to create and sustain. And we couldn't find anybody. So Jesus is the only one that could do that. So he is the firstborn. That title is given to him because there's nobody else that could manage it. And in verse 17, it says, he holds everything in life together. Now look at 18. So what Paul is doing is that he is explaining the deity of Christ. He's talking about his creation, like Jesus is creator. He's divine. He's talking about in relationship with the Father. He's just going after all the hearsay that he's been hearing. And he's over all the angels. Now look what it says in verse 18. He's also over the entire church. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that everything he might have, what? Supremacy. So what he's saying here is like, man, when it comes to the church of God, the gathering of believers, the gathering of his people, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one that runs everything. Jesus is the brain behind the church. 
So when I hear like believers like, man, I hate the church, man. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I was like, no, like Jesus is the head of the church. Then go find another church. Jesus is the head of the church. And let me tell you something. Anything that doesn't have a head is dead. But anything with two heads is a monster. So if the church is, is like, it's all about this, the pastor, it's all about A, B, and C, but then also Jesus too. No, that, that's not a functioning church. That's not the church that the Bible talks about. And if Jesus is not the center of the church, if Jesus is not the head of the church, then it's a dying church. And it's going to disappear. I've seen it. I've seen when churches acknowledge and accept sin and they're cool with it and they stop preaching the gospel, that church is gone. It disappears. I've seen denominations that have started to accept sinful practices. And you see in the span of a year, they're declining. It's over. You might as well just like wave to them. They're gone. Line them up. Jesus is the head of the church. The church is alive and well, and the church functions because he is the one that is worshipped. And when Jesus is not worshipped, it's not a church. It's some kind of social gathering. So we have to be real careful that we keep Jesus at the center of everything. He's the beginning and the firstborn of amongst the dead. What does that even mean, Rick? That sounds crazy. So there's that word again, firstborn. That means that we've looked everywhere and we couldn't find anybody else except Jesus. So when he says he's the firstborn amongst the dead, Jesus was the first. Now we use the word chronologically here. Jesus is the first one to resurrect and not die again. You understand this. Lazarus was dead for three days. Jesus resurrected him. But years later, he died. The centurion's daughter was dead. Jesus resurrected her. But years later, she died. There's other gods that religions worship that were alive at one point in history. But years later, they died. So their believers now are praying to their grave sites. They're celebrating the tomb. They don't celebrate the God, the deity. They can't. Why? Because they're dead. And if they do, it's weird. <laughs> and it's frustrating because they're like, how come my life? Nothing is working because you're praying to a dead person. And listen, and if some kind of figure, statue, the deity behind it is not holy. It's something de demonic. And Jesus is the only one that was born. He was killed, he was buried, he rose again, and he didn't die again. He's still alive. So that means that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the, the firstborn amongst the dead. Why? Because I looked everywhere and I could not find anybody else that is still alive except Jesus Christ. So he gets that title. And until you could find somebody else that lived, that pre-existed, was born, lived, died, and didn't die no more, then Jesus is the firstborn amongst the dead. And until you can find somebody else, they don't get that title. So Jesus is the only one. And then look at verse, let's just keep going. So Paul, he's giving all these things. Now there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for this. Paul is like, why is Jesus supremacy? Why, why, did, why, does he, why is he God? Why is all these things? 
Because one thing is talking about it, the other thing is proving it. Right? It's like, okay, we'll prove it. What did Jesus do? You got to prove it. So look at verse 19. Because this is where it, this is where the gospel starts to infuse. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, his blood shed on the cross. You see, so what Paul is telling the church here is that he's giving God has given Jesus all his attributes, everything. And the reason is to reconcile himself to all things. There is a chasm. Sin enters the world. You and I are now separated from a holy and righteous God. There is no peace. There is no peace when you're living in your sin. You could fake it, but you're not. That, it only lasts for a little bit. But the peace that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ is everlasting. It says through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. So why? Because there needed to be a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God due sin. That's why it says Jesus was our propitiation. So there's nothing you and I could do. There's not enough work that we can do. There's not enough church. There's not enough Sundays that you could come to church in order for you to be right with God. There's, it's impossible. There will never be any peace. The only way this happens is through the bloodshed of someone who is perfect, someone who has lived the same life that you and I have lived but have not sinned. They must be blame, blameless. There, might, there must not be any sin in them. Jesus is the only one that was able to do that. And then if you look at verse 20, I mean, verse 21, once, and now this is where it gets deep, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Y'all know what this verse means? Paul goes in here because Paul is talking about like Jesus had to do this. God had to do this so that way we could be reconciled to him. And then some of them were like, well, Rick, I, I went to Jewish seminary. I don't need this. I know the law. I, I know all these things. Like, they're the ones that need God, not me. And he's like, hold on a second, because you were once alienated. Y'all, that word alienated, it means estranged. Like, it, it means to be cut off. You have been completely separated and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We're saying is that, listen, you were alienated because you alienated him. Because you loved your sins so much that you didn't want the holy standard that God is asking you to follow. You're like, I like sin better than this. So what God does is he alienates you. And actually, the word enemy here, this is crazy. You were enemies. The word enemy here translates to hateful. So you didn't just like didn't want anything to do with God. You hate God. This is a strong word. You weren't just an enemy. You hated him. You hated his holy standard. You hated everything he asked you to do. So that way we were separated. You know, the, the more I read this, 
There, there's something a lot of people say, and, and this is something I'm starting to realize. A lot of people say things like, we're all children of God. And I'm like, no, we're all God's creation, but only those found in Christ are his children. But there's an, also another saying that's like, you know what? God hates sin, but loves the sinner. Uh, well, only those found in Christ because we're forgiven. But when I read this, it's like, no, God hates sin and alienates the sinner because you alienated him. You said no to a holy and righteous God. So God's like, okay, fine. Go at it. Have fun in your sin. See where that ends up. That's Romans chapter 1. Right? So this is strong. This is a strong verse for John. Like Paul is going in here. See, God hates all workers of iniquity. That's a strong word. He's not saying he hates people. No, he's saying he hates to sin. And then those who do sin and live in sin because he's a holy and righteous God. You need to understand who you are. We've got to understand who he is. There's a difference. But, verse 22, thank God for the buts in the Bible, right? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, I love this. There, I never caught this because here there's like a, there's a, there's a catch that Paul's saying. Because a lot of, he'll say that and everybody's like, yeah. And then he's like, hold on. But if you continue in your faith, if you don't dip out, you got to stay faithful. Paul talks about this like running the race. You don't say like, yeah, I accepted Jesus. And then three, two years later, somebody made fun of you and you're like, Jesus is not real. Like, no, that's, you never had him. Right? That's what he's saying. He's like, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and in which I, Paul, have become a servant to. Wow, this is awesome. So what Jesus is saying is like, because of the body of Christ, because God came in heaven, human form, died for us, you don't have to do anything now. You just accept. You put your faith in him. Now God sees you as blameless. He doesn't look at Ricky and is like, man, Ricky, like here on this earth, you did A, B, C, and D. Let's, let's pull up all the, your wrongdoings. No. He sees his son in me now. I have his spirit. He's put the whole, he puts the Holy Spirit in me, so that way I'm blam- I have no blame, and I am free of accusation. The reason why Paul says this is there's a word called righteousness. There's a word called justification. I could stand before a judge with no worries. Go ahead. Like, God, I am here. Come on. I am home. Like, I have that, that hope. I have that confidence because I have no accusation through the blood of Christ. If, <laughs> I hate this, man. This is, I wish it was so much like, uh, oh, this is, this is rough. If you continue in your faith. Guys, it's a lasting faith. And what Paul is getting to here is that the gospel is life-changing. Your life is completely transformed through a relationship of, with Jesus Christ. Are you going to struggle with sin? Absolutely. Do you have to be a, sl- a slave to it? Absolutely not, because you have Christ in you now. And that's kind of what I want to end with us today in the last couple of minutes.
because a lot of us are like, I was, I was reading this passage. And I was like, man, how do we apply these truths to our lives? How, how do we, like, what do we do with the supremacy of Christ? And man, my prayer for you today is if, if you understand the gospel, if you understand the supremacy of Christ, there's going to be some implications in your life that you need to start paying attention to. Because I think a lot of us lose the awareness. We're like, eh, it's just church. No, it's the gospel. Right? So look at the first one. So if, if I understand the supremacy of Christ, that means that I am no longer alienated, and now I'm accepted. So all through life, I feel alienated. I feel disconnected. Like, I feel like I, I cannot do anything to please a holy and righteous God. And listen, that is an extremely frustrating place to be. Imagine going through life thinking that everything that I'm trying to do is never good enough. The Bible says in verse 21, you were once alienated from God. You were an enemy. We weren't just separated. We were estranged. Like, like we were cut off. Like, we hated God. And you go through life not knowing who you are or who you belong to spiritually. And when you don't understand the grace of God, the gospel, and the mercy of God, it transitions into an identity crisis. So you're going through life not understanding that God is the perfect father, not understanding that God changed me, his grace, his mercy, like I'm a, I don't have to be a slave to my sin anymore. But you see, when you're accepted, you start understanding that God is the one who's guiding my life. He's the one that controls my life. And when anything comes my way that does not add up to the standard that God has for me, I'm able to say no. We're not children. We don't walk around like enticed like kids. Man, it talks about that like it's a spiritual maturity. And the, spiritually more, the more spiritually mature that you are, you are able to say no to things. I do it all the time, and I still struggle. Like, I'm just being honest. There's things in my life where, where, where like, when it comes up, I think, like, eh, maybe I can. Then I'm like, no, like, I can't. No, I'm not doing this. There's this internal battle inside of me. But I'm able to say no because I have the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside. And you have got to understand this. You are no longer alienated if you are found in Jesus Christ. You are now accepted through a holy and righteous God. So accept your acceptance. <laughs> Some of you guys need to learn how to say, yes, I am. I am accepted. Because some of us still live as we're not. Who are you? Who do you belong to? I belong to Jesus, I belong to God. I find everything that I need in him. Which leads me to number two. Because of the supremacy of Christ, I am no longer a victim. I am now a victor. Many of us live life in this victim mentality. And we see this in verse 22. What does he say? You present you, he presents you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So what the gospel does is the gospel doesn't just redeem you, it restores you, but it also repurposes you. So if I'm living my life stuck 
in my past, and I have a, a victim mentality saying I can't move forward because of abuse, because of what I've done, how many people I've slept with, all the drugs I put in my body, the people I've stole from, the stuff that I've done in my past, you carry that load with you. And then you start blaming everybody else. I didn't go to school because, like, my mom, man, I had to do all these things, and, and I, I can't get a job because my, my, my parents and my life, like, it triggers me, and, and I can't do this. And listen, you are allowing your trauma to lead you forward. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, like, man, you're not alienated anymore. You're not separated anymore. You're not a victim anymore. You're actually victorious because of me. So you live a life as a victor. And the problem is when you have not accepted the supremacy of Christ, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, if you have not come to terms that Jesus took it on the cross and is victorious over all sin, then you're going to find your identity, your purpose, and your reason somewhere else. And when you do that, you're going you're gonna to start seeing, I am this person. I belong to this situation. It's really frustrating to wander through life not knowing who you are. And what Jesus is telling us here is like, man, no, I took that on the cross you're victorious now. You're able to move forward regardless of your past. I, think about it. Like, I redeemed it. I redeemed all the time that you've wasted. Does that mean God's going to give you your time back? No. But what it does mean is that he's going to make the time that you have now more fruitful and bigger. And you're going to do so much more with the time that you have because God redeems time. Victim mentality, you will be able to move forward. You're not stuck anymore and I think some of us we need to stop camping out in our trauma and we need to accept the the love that Christ has for us we need to get help get some counseling and move forward because Jesus has so much more for you and then the last thing I'm going to share and with this we'll close is we are now forsaken we're going from forsaken to forgiven you're going from being forsaken to being forgiven. This is exactly what Paul says. He's like, man, this is the gospel. And if you understand this, man, you're going to stay in the faith. You're not going to fall apart. You know, a lot of people, like, you can, you can live life. A lot of people are like, man, like, I want to live in my life with freedom. Freedom is not getting to do whatever you want. You know what true freedom is? is regardless that you got to do whatever you wanted, God still forgives you. That's true freedom right there. Freedom is found when you're able to live a life without guilt, without shame, and without being controlled by sin. That right there is true freedom. So when I experience true freedom through forgiveness, then I'm able to say that, listen, man, like my identity is now found in Christ because he's all supreme. Listen, he created the universe. He sustains it all. How much more do you think he's going to do for your life? He sustains it. He has it. He has the power through the cross. So that means that my identity is not found in my sexuality. It's not found in culture. It's not found in my mistakes or my past. It's not found just because I have a fatherless home or because I was abused by my mom or because, of, no, now my identity is found in Jesus Christ. And I'm a victor. 
And I think some of us need to know this because there is true freedom in who he is because you're found in him. Let me pray for us and then we will have a time of response. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, um, this message, Lord. God, if there's people in this room right now, if there's people in this house who feel alienated, who feel confused, who, who, who are still living in their hurt and their past, Lord, I pray that you break that stronghold. Lord, I pray, that, I pray that you break this, Lord, and that you send them out of here knowing that they are forgiven, not forsaken, that they have been accepted and not alienated, and that they are victorious and not victims. And Lord, all of this is done because of you were able to reconcile us through your cross. So Lord, help us to live in that truth. Help, help us to understand that truth. And Lord, if there's anybody in here who needs, who needs it, Lord, I pray that you don't leave them alone, that your spirit just continue to just convict them. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you because you are the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. You are God and God alone. And Lord, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Let's worship together.